So hello, everyone. Uh, we're here um, with the Longevity Biotech Show. Today, we have the great pleasure and honor of having uh, Marco Corta from Rubedo Life Sciences here with us. Uh, Rubedo Life Sciences is a senolytics company um, that targeted uh, senescent cells. And um, yeah, I guess just a, a couple of housekeeping things. Um, this show is being recorded. So uh, later on in the show, when we invite people up to ask questions, if you come up, uh, that means you're consenting to us um, recording, uh, using your audio in the recording and also your, your profile photo in the video that we upload to YouTube. Okay, so without further ado, um, maybe we'll just start with some basic introductions. I'll go first, then Marco and then uh, Robert. So uh, myself, I'm Nathan Chang. I'm the founder of Longevity Market Cap and the uh, the editor of the Associated Newsletter. Basically, it's uh, a once a week roundup of all the different developments in the longevity biotech industry. Um, I'm also the founder of a Longevity List, which is uh, a website where people can find jobs, uh, companies, and investors in the longevity biotech industry. And then, uh, yes, uh, I guess I'll hand it over to uh, to Marco. Uh, thank you, Nathan, and thank you, Robert, for the very kind in invitation to, to talk today. It's exciting to contribute to this you know, great, great show. I think it's really good for the, for the field and uh, to promote all initiatives around longevity therapeutics. Um, so about me, uh, Marco Quarta, as you, you, uh, you mentioned, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Rubedo Life Sciences, uh, and I've been... Um, I'd say in the longevity regenerative medicine space for, for a very long time. Prior to that, I was at Stanford uh, directing my research team there, focused on aging regenerative medicine. Prior to that, I did my uh, postdoc at Stanford with Tom Rando, uh, one of the um, you know, leaders in the fields. Uh, it's the, the, the Tom's lab is where the idea of the parabiosis uh, was launched, right? And if you're not familiar with that, um, is the and this experiment, famous experiment that showed that you can put together, like combine surgically an old mouse and a young mouse, so they can share the blood, and uh, and what uh, what they found is that the, the the old mice were able to become younger from a biological standpoint, uh, rejuvenate and regenerate better and recover functions. Uh, suggesting that there are some rejuvenative factors in the young blood, right? That they, that then further studies show that this is true, and there are even companies who build upon this idea in the longevity therapeutic space. But I mean, so anyway, that's where I did my postdoc, uh, working with Tom for for years, and we still collaborate. And as my uh, my uh, former mentor in, in the space. Uh, in general, I have a PhD in aging and neuroscience, uh, degrees in biotechnology, bioengineering, working always in, in, in this, around this idea. Um, and uh, as a scientist, then as an entrepreneur, uh, Rubedo Life Science is not my, my first uh, experience. I started other companies before back in Europe and, and here in the Silicon Valley. So more recently, I also co-founded another um, longevity therapeutic companies here in the Bay is a spin-off of Stanford called the Turn Biotechnologies with my 
friend and colleague, uh, also faculty at Stanford, uh, Professor uh, Vittorio Sebastiano. And in that was a different story. We showed in that case how in a transient epigenetic strategy based on RNAs, a technology similar to the vaccines, of, you know, modern vaccines of Modern and Pfizer pretty much, but used to uh, epigenetically reprogram cells to rejuvenate and turn back their biological clock. Um, so that's me in a nutshell, There's probably more, but um, I guess I can stop here. Okay, great. Thank you. And uh, Robert? Yeah, thanks. So uh, my name is Robert Zimmon. I'm a co-host here um, at the uh, Longevity Biotech Show. Uh, I'm a researcher in an aging biology lab uh, based in uh, Quebec in Canada, and I have about 10 years of uh, experience in bioinformatics and research software engineering. Okay, back over to you, Nathan. Okay, great. So I guess my first question for Marco is uh, really basic. What, what is Rubedo Life Sciences and uh, what are the kinds of therapies that you guys are trying to develop? Sure. Um, so let me maybe do a step back because you mentioned correctly that Rubedo is a senolytic company, so developing therapeutics to target senescent cells. Um, I would say Rubedo is not a senolytic company per se. Uh, so the idea behind Rubedo and the platform that we build, which is called Alembic, uh, and Maybe for the sake of interest, uh, the all names Rubedo and so Alembic are names that uh, they come from alchemy. And uh, in, al in an alchemic literature, the Rubedo is the last phase of the operation to realize the universal medicine, the elixir that gives you longevity and, uh, and immortality in the mythology. Um, and with the idea that really we wanted to uh, develop therapeutics, so novel medicines that are customized for the biology of aging and for uh, older people. And so to do that, we really wanted to generate, to make novel compounds, uh, technically is a novel composition of matter, so not really screen or find existing compounds, but design and make compounds that are made for this purpose. And why so important? It's because with age, things change. As we know, uh, after a certain age, there is this exponential risk to develop you know, one or more uh, age-related diseases. Right? Everything happens exponentially after a certain point. And in humans, it's typically around 60, 65, where there is this you know, inflection point. And then you know, there, there is a, every year a higher risk to develop a, a number of comorbidities. And there are reasons why behind that which means they're changing, they're changing biology. And so the patients are also different. As we age, an older person has a different metabolism. Drugs are metabolized differently. There is a lower tolerance to side effects and toxicity. So there are all, all things to take into consideration. Um, and even more that, you know, there is the fact that there are some rare cell types that slowly emerge and accumulate with age and eventually drive age-related diseases. Senescence is senescent cells is one of them, but there are others. So the idea behind Robedo is how can we find the rare cells that drive age-related diseases? How can we really identify, create an ID, profiling them, and then how can we use this information to make drugs that are engineered to selectively target those cells and not the others? 
right? In this way, we protect the healthy cells. We target the bad cells that are driving the aging process. So we make, uh, we solve these three problems in this way. Uh, we make drugs that are selective, that have a, a high efficacy and high tolerability and safety profile for age people with age-related diseases. So that's what really Rubedo is about. And we can talk more about that and how we do that through our platform that we call Alembic. Again, another alchemic name. Alembic is the apparatus using alchemy to make the medicine, the, you know, this uh, elixir. But it also means is an acronym for us that stays for algorithms for life extending medicine using uh, biology, informatics, and chemistry. And so I can tell more about that. But again, the idea is making drugs in different, different strategies. Let's say the platform makes um, sophisticated uh, compounds such as prodrugs, uh, complex prodrugs that can activate in certain cell types. And we have a sonority program, as uh, uh, you anticipated earlier, to make those compounds that can uh, selectively target senescent cells. But again, senescent cells are heterogeneous. They're different. There are depends of age, depends of disease, depends of tissue. So how can you do this pharmacologically? Right? The idea is you know, we, we, we have beautiful data, for example, genetic models using animal models. Right? But we cannot do a transgenic human to selectively target those. But so we came up with a strategy to make selective drugs that can have the same level of precision uh, and safety as well. I'll, I'll, I'll pause here uh, if you have any questions um, before I continue. Okay, yeah, that's, that's great. So uh, as I understand correctly now that, um, that Rubedo uh, has a Sinalex pro uh, program, but uh, you guys are focused uh, more generally on aging as well, just uh, finding these special cells that that drive aging, whether they're uh, senescent cells or some other type of cell. Um, so that's really interesting. I, I, you did mention the, the targeted nature, and I think this is really important because, um, as you know, in the senolytics industry, there have been, uh, well, there has been a sort of high-profile failure of uh, one senolytic uh, drug uh, company, and uh, a lot of people are saying, okay, maybe the the way the reason why that company failed was because you know um, they were too localized, like it was a local injection, and, and they had to be local because you know maybe the the drug was too toxic to uh, to administer systemically. So this idea of you know selectively targeting. Uh, senescent cells or other, you know, bad cells is really important um, in terms of, you know, how, how uh, effective the drug can be. And um, so I, I'm wondering, maybe you could just uh, walk us through how you do uh, selective targeting. Like, what is the, the technology there? You mentioned something about prodrugs. Yeah, and that's one, um, one approach, right? We uh, invented uh, several strategies, novel chemistry, for example, and the computational approach to, to address that. Uh, so let me kind of try to give a high level view of, of the approach. Um, as I said, everything starts with our uh, you know, discovery platform, Alembic, that is really a sophisticated, uh, let's say, um, multi-dimension, multi-omic, uh, approach uh, that 
really the idea is how can we look across multiple dimensions to see what's really emerging with age. Uh, so across multiple uh, omic data sets, multiple, importantly, multiple ages, right? But then there is multiple tissues, multiple species, multiple disease models and patient populations uh, to really triangulate what is emerging with age, what are those cells, and what is inside there, what can we target, what can we take advantage in designing um, certain chemi chemical strategies. So Alembic is not just a, let's say, a bio and chemoinformatic approach that gives you an, an information, but is designed based on our unique chemistry approach to enable the generation, the development of, this, uh, of these compounds. And an example, as you mentioned, are, for example, prodrugs. What are prodrugs? Are, uh, are, com are compounds, are molecules that uh, are inactive, at least the way we, we design them. Right? Uh, the idea is, let's make drugs that don't work by design. So we really make, are do, putting lots of effort in making drugs that don't work unless they find the right cells, right? And then they are activated into an active form. And if you need it, right? The idea, how there's a, uh, the idea behind those prodrugs or other strategies that we're using uh, is, you know, if you take, a, let's say, they talk about senescence and senolytics, right? Let's say you're young and healthy and you take a rubedo prodrug and you don't have senescent cells, nothing happens. And, but if you have those cells, then you can trigger the activation of, of the prodrug selectively and proportionally to your you know, age and disease and, 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 and need in that sense. So there are multiple ways to do that. We definitely advanced a number of, of uh, approaches. We can't, I can't disclose in too many details, but uh, for example, we, we uh, released in, in preprint a manuscript. Now we're we doing the uh, it's in the revision process for for peer publication. But uh, the, the preprint is available, and in that case, uh, what we did is again we, that's a very simple prodrug. Um, what we are developing actually therapeutically are more sophisticated than that. But in that case, we we asked uh, a simple question: Is can we take a pancytotoxic compound. So a compound that is very toxic, it can kill senescent cells, but also other cells. Um, and taking advantage of a known marker of senescence, which is beta-galactosidase, is an enzyme, right? It is uh, uh, expressed and enriched in, in, in senescent cells, typically. And uh, can we use this enzyme as a tool uh, to activate our prodrug and, uh, and in, in senescent cells that have high level of this enzyme? And the answer is yes. And so we proved this in in vitro and in vivo. We tested this in geriatric uh, mice, very, very old, 30 months or older that might correspond in a geriatric uh, person, um, maybe in the 80s or 90s. And, uh, and we, you know, where we proved that the compound becomes very well tolerated Right, compared to uh, the unmodified version that is very toxic and kill even 
young animals, but instead the prodrugos can be used chronically, doses repeatedly at high doses into very frail old mice that can tolerate that. But we also found that it was capable of uh, in vitro, but also in, in vivo in animals, uh, selectively clear those burden of senescent cells resulting in restore of function. So the question there, we didn't want to see, can we delay aging? We wanted to ask, can we reverse some of this you know, age-related uh, loss of function, such as cognitive functions? Those, those mice are kind of a dementia. They, 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 they don't remember, they don't move, you know, they have frailty, they, they, they're weaker, their muscles are weaker. They don't regenerate as younger. And then after treating them, uh, they, again, they tolerated well the, the, the treatment, but they also recover in muscle function, in stem cell functions, regenerative functions, in cognitive functions and memory, and uh, etc. So that was a proof of principle, right? And we, we definitely move way more uh, advanced uh, work and studies in the generation of our compounds. But... That gives you the idea of, for example, a type of, in that case, simple prodrug using a very generic toxic compound, turning into a selective uh, a senolytic compound. And um, that was the first uh, proof of principle that we, we did back in the days. Yeah, got it. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, so anybody who's interested in reading more about uh, the paper Marco's talking about, it's... Um... You can find it on their website, actually, in the publication section. It's a preprint currently. Um, yeah, very cool results. Uh, so what about uh, clinical development? So um, on, on your website, uh, the, there is like a, a clinical program that you guys are developing right now, or um, I believe IFPF, or, or some sort of pulmonary fibrosis. Um, can you tell us um, what's in store for Rubedo in terms of yeah trying to try some of these uh, compounds in uh, and therapies in human patients? Yeah, we are you know, working to advance, you know, we're in a preclinical stage, right? I want to, to make sure that we are, we are not ready to go in first in human, uh, but we're gearing up for that. Um, so we have we lead compounds and we optimized and uh, we've definitely generated superior um, lead compounds that we are advancing in, in our studies to, to move into IND. Uh, and if everything goes well, hopefully we can go in, in a phase, in a clinical uh, phase one trial uh, in, the, in the next future. I am hesitant in setting dates or estimates of times because science is also unpredictable, right? So we, we rather, so we are approaching this extremely carefully we don't want to rush in the sense that we want to make sure that all the studies, both tolerability, safety, and efficacy are well-rounded and careful to be as translational as possible and predictive as possible um, before going to humans. So if more work is required, we want to, uh, to, to do that rather than try to be uh, to rushing into clinical stage at this point, but you know we're moving quickly forward. And um, and as you said, yes, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis is our um, probably most advanced program. But uh, we have others that we are developing internally 
uh, with a, a portfolio of compounds that we generated and we are you know, con continuously uh, expanding it uh, in our um, you know, the discovery effort. Yeah, great. Um, I guess maybe we can maybe uh, go back in time and um, talk about the the backstory behind the company. So, um, what was it that made you decide to start uh, Rubedo Life Sciences? Like, what was the what was the catalyst at at the time, right before you were uh, right before you started the company? Well. Depends how back in time you want to go. <laughs> I guess that I had, you know, in a way for me, this, um, the, the, the whole search and exploration around aging and the, how we can change that, uh, improve that, um, is an, an inspiration of mine. It's probably a personal mission that I have that started at a super young age. I was a little kid when I, I wanted to understand aging and I have this inspiration that they can be changed, you know, and chasing this idea of naively at that age immortality. Uh, I'm less naive now, but uh, uh, I started very early. I had my first lab, I put it together at the age of, at the age of seven. I was probably six when I said I wanted to to, to change aging. And, um, and uh, I have scientists and physicians in the family enough that I could like, steal and borrow uh, gears, you know, chemistry gears, the microscope and those kind of things. So I've been in, in this path of, you know, scientific and philosophical and not just scientific exploration of, um, for, for my whole life. And so, you know, my academic career and, and now more in, the, in this biotech uh, development is always aimed for this uh, concept of can we understand um, how aging works and can we translate this into ways that that can be changed to improve quality of life? And most importantly is personally, is can I do something and give back to society of, of my you know, effort? which to me translating to can I make a therapies, can I make a new medicines that can benefit people's life. Um, and maybe a, a point in general about this longevity space that sometimes I hear comments of, well, you know, yes, there is an aging population, but it's a growing population. This is already becoming a burden, right, for the planet. Uh, do we need to have people living longer? And I said, well, that's not the point. The point for me, and I think in general, is can we make people living healthier for longer? So giving more life to their, to their um, more, more, more life to their years, right? And rather than more years to their life. And why this is so important? Well, for example, you know, the, the economical, socio-economical burden of you know, sustaining an aging population if we can postpone in time the onset of age-related diseases would alleviate enormously the cost and healthcare costs, for example. Uh, it would also add a wiser population, a new a generation that can still contribute and happily be active, involved in the society from the older people that are healthier and younger in that sense. So those are all personal drivers to me. 
and uh, and Rubedo specifically, you know, uh, I found in not just the, the technology and the, the approach that we have that you know I I thought that I've seen many 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 uh, strategies and approaches, but I thought that that was really uh, the, the the chances to to deliver, you know, to execute those and make um, a new generation of therapeutics that can really target age-related diseases first and, and, and aging as a whole, uh, in a, aspirationally in the future. But also the team that we put together that definitely is a uniquely positioned with um, you know, leaders, uh, legendary names in the fields that join Arubedo to really join me in this mission. Um, so those are all maybe maybe a long answer to your uh, to your question, but those are all uh, reasons or drivers that personally made me choosing in you know leaving academia and uh, focus full time in, uh, in in Rubedo to to move forward in this in our mission and hopefully we can uh, achieve this goal soon. Yeah, great. Uh, I think I, I I'd like to focus more on yeah the this um you mentioned you you left academia to you know work on this uh, on this problem of aging uh, starting biotech company Rubedo Life Science and, and some other companies as well um, maybe I, I'd like to ask you just uh, what are the sort of things that um, academics should know about starting a biotech company right like uh, uh, generally speaking, I think a, a lot of you know graduate students or, or postdocs or whatever, they're they're trained to become academics, right? But then a lot of them transition into uh, starting their own biotech startups or whatever. And I'm I'm wondering, what what sort of things should should they learn, right, to to be prepared for for this sort uh, for this sort of you know startup endeavor? Hmm. Uh, that's a complicated question because there are multiple answers, I guess. Um, you know, well, it depends. If, first of all, I think what kind of role and position uh, someone who wants to transition from academia to, let's say, a corporate, um, and a, let's say, ecosystem is is gonna is looking for, right? Because this one thing being. For example, you know, the CEO of a company versus being a scientist versus being a business development or so that already changes. And uh, and I think it's important to be prepared. I think what is super important is um, finding the right people to work, having the right mentors and because um, there are lots of things that needs to be learned. And I also take, take the time to do that. Right? Academia is is a different as different goals um you work in this idea of you know diving down into ex uh, expanding knowledge understanding basic questions and there is a mechanics around that is very different into you know what do you need to actually turn an information into actually something real and there are so many other layers that you need to take into consideration you know, a discovery in basic uh, science, for example, it could be incredibly important and exciting, but um, it might not have a real value in terms of 
practicality or trans or can be translated into something real and um, and so i think uh, i wouldn't jump too quickly into hey this is great let's do something out of this because um, uh, the you know to de-risk uh, the this hence is a very complex endeavor uh, so to risk uh, the uh, you know failure and uh, maximize uh, uh, chances of success, I think is important that there is the right expertise, the right knowledge, and uh, and uh, you know it takes time to build that understanding on you know and moving very carefully from one stage stage to the next and go step by step. So uh, typically, academia, in my experience, uh, doesn't really give you all the required tools. I think it's good to, you know, work with someone who has you know, veterans, maybe from that are have been working in the specific space that you want to transition into, and um, and learn and making making sure that you know you know what you're doing. But there is value as an academic also, because um, you know the the way of thinking out of the box and and come up with new solutions uh, that's that's invaluable. Uh, but it needs to be supported in a framework that enables the the execution of an idea into something that you know is real. And for example, in therapeutics, and there are many many layers of complexity in between. So. I'd say the best is that don't do this by yourself. You know, don't try to reinvent the wheel and uh, seek for the strongest team as possible that can really uh, fill the gap and work that you can learn from if you don't have that experience, which takes time, it takes a long time. Yeah, definitely. And, and you mentioned having uh, the right mentors, right? So. Maybe you can speak to that. Like, what kind of mentor would be ideal for like a a young founder who's starting off, who who maybe wants to start like a longevity biotech company, and and how can they find these mentors? Ah, well, <laughs> um, that's it's a bit of luck, I guess. Um, but it's also, I think, the reputation. It's it's important. It's one of the most important things. So. Do everything you, you do at best as you can at any stage. Right? If you are a graduate student, try to do your work at, at best as you can and working with the best people as possible uh, because that, you know, it kind of uh, opens the door for uh, what's next and uh, attract, you know, attracts other talents and that you can work with. Finding the right mentor, it's not easy, definitely. Um, and you need to be exposed as, as much as possible to many people in the space. Now, if you're saying what's the best mentor to start a biotech company, it's hard to say. It's personality it takes a lot, but certainly you want to see what's the track record um, of, of a good mentor. Is this an established person who proved already successfully that, uh, you know, that, it did before what you want to do, maybe multiple times. What's the reputation of this person? Um, and uh, what are the accomplishments? And uh, certainly, there is there a cultural fit with you? Um, I think these are all 
important aspects that uh, you need to take into consideration. And there is not only one, right? You need um, multiple mentors that you can learn, especially if you need to start a company, right? There is a scientific aspect, there is a financial, there is entrepreneurial, there is a business aspect, um, legal. Um, so there are many, many uh, components that uh, I'd say you, you, you should try to always work with the best uh, because, uh, and the other good thing is typically people who succeeded well, they want to pass this knowledge. They want to see others following the same path and, uh, and be mentors in that sense. So, you know, um, I think, uh, they're out there if you, if you look for them. Great. Yeah. So before we open up for, uh, questions from the audience, um, maybe I'll just uh, give this time to you to um, maybe if if there's something that we can help you or are you hiring or if you're um, looking for investors or something like that, maybe I'll, I'll just open up the floor to you. I know you guys uh, somewhat recently raised um, your seed round from Kosla Ventures, which is incredible. Uh, congratulations on that. But uh, yeah, if there's anything that you wanted to say to you know the audience or people listening to the podcast later, um, yeah, here's here's your your chance. Oh, well, th thank you for for the chance. Uh, actually, yes, we we closed not too long ago our seed round with Kosla. Um, we are actually getting up for uh, for our Series A, and it's happening very soon. So. We are ready to move to the next stage. Uh, we definitely reached very quickly that inflection point um, that at this point we are ready to move to the next stage. And so if there is interest um, and people want to, to hear our story and uh, that we should be able, well, we expect to, uh, to, to start the fundraise soon, uh, really soon. Uh, so if anyone is interested, uh, and uh, please, you can reach out to me. I'll add to the list. And when time is ready, I'll open up invitations so people can book a time on our, on our calendar and join the, the round of, uh, of presentations for our Series A, which, which is going to happen soon. So feel free to you know, reach out to me at um, my email. Uh, and um, as Marco Quarta at trubedolife.com. I'm happy to um, connect and uh, you know have conversations if there is interest about. Um, that's in terms of investment round for the Series A. Um, we are also very open to partnership. So if there is any interest for you know discussing uh, new exploratory programs in partnership or in general, again. Uh, reach out to me or to partners at rubedolife.com. And uh, hiring, while well, it's on our website, uh, we always have uh, some open positions of, of um, I think we have you know, two, three positions open right now. So you can look on LinkedIn or again on the website and to, to see open opportunities. And uh, we, I think uh, we are looking for um, a couple of scientists and uh, senior scientists and lead scientist position level right now. Okay, great. Yeah. So anybody in the audience or listening at home, um, 
Marco mentioned that uh, they are raising a Series A round very soon. So if you want to, if you're interested in this or know someone who might be interested in investing in a company that's you know also backed by Coastal Ventures, doing some really great stuff, um, yeah, definitely reach out to him. And uh, he also mentioned that, that they're uh, hiring. They have some positions on their website. I also see that there's an internship. So you, uh, other people um, who are who are looking for possibly an internship can take a look at that uh, listing on their on their web page as well. Okay, cool. So uh, we'll transition now to uh, Robert. If you have any other questions. Uh, but if Robert, if you don't have any other questions, we can also just go to the audience. Um, do you, uh, what's your What's your call, Robert? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, people can come up here, and uh, we can start questioning. I, I I have a few here uh, that might be of interest to some other people also. So, um, Marco, you were talking about uh, how you got started in in the field, and uh, you had a very long term interest in this, and and so on. Uh, so a question that's interesting to me and might be interesting to a lot of other people, I think, uh, especially those who are not as familiar with uh, the field of aging biology. What references, like textbooks, monographs, etc., would you recommend, or websites, or, or anything for that matter, would you recommend to people that are interested in learning about the state of the art of the field, uh, to get started and learn as solidly as possible about what's what's going on. It's hmm. an interesting question. Well, there are you know, initiatives like like yours. Uh, there are a number of um, blog um, and other initiatives that I think are very valuable that people can look at. Uh, let me think on. Um, top of my head, like, um, well, fight aging, um, for example, um, it, it, you, you can read, uh, you, you know, the, you know, the, the author's their role is very, very active and in adding news and reports and investigation around, um, what's going on. Um, let me see, we have, You know, it's. It, I don't think there is a, a necessary a one comprehensive aspect. My, my best suggestion is to be uh, updated to scientific literature, right? Looking at some of the top tier journals, um, and recently, like uh, Nature Publishing Group, for example, um, uh, open up Nature Aging. Uh, for example, that's a, that's a great uh, way to and. To, to to read about that um, and be up to speed and but in general you know the, I, I think I would try to look carefully on the scientific uh, literature um, rather than try to you know uh, to be too general in that sense um, maybe it would help if I rephrase it a little bit are there any books or papers or anything uh, or you know any comments or anything like this that particularly influenced your hmm. understanding of the biology of aging? Probably not. <laughs> um, I think is 
it's a complex phenomenon. So there is not like a review, a journal, a paper, a book. Um, I think is a, it's a collection of all of it. And I constantly you know, read and explore things that it's hard for me to identify the one specific source of inspiration. That's why you hear me be struggling here and giving potentially an, a good answer. Um, I probably don't have it. Sorry. No, fair, fair enough. It is a complex field for sure. Uh, one other question, then uh, I guess we can go to Julianne here. So uh, you were presenting a couple of years ago at a Foresight Institute event on an idea called the Symbio Watch, a wearable for longevity. <laughs> and um, I confess, I, I still haven't actually watched your presentation there in full, but uh, it's a very interesting concept. And uh, it certainly relates to the hardware side of things. So do you have any uh, maybe brief description of this and some thoughts on people that are interested in contributing to the longevity biotech uh, activity from a hardware perspective? Oh, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, that was an interesting exercise that, and actually a great event uh, at Foresight. And yeah, I mean, I, as a, also a bioengineer, I, I, been actively involved in, in my past in initiatives of like uh, biomedical devices or, or you know by my first company actually that I started uh, back in uh, in Italy uh, when I was doing my PhD and um, and that was you know I started by participating to a business plan competition uh, it's a national competition called Start Cup back in the days and uh, which was a great learning experience, right? You, you are exposed to, um, you know, you get an, a business angel and you're trained, you learn how to do a business plan, those kind of things. But we happened to win and we, we, we got the money and we started a company which is called the Wetware Concept. And the company is still actually up and running uh, in down there. Um, the reason I'm saying is that, that, that in that case, we were really combining uh, hardware and biology together. Uh, wetware is a name that I took from cyberpunk literature um, and is kind of the evolution from hardware, software, and wetware is, you know, the biological um, uh, material, matter, that can process information. So we were doing there is uh, using... Uh, semiconductor chips combined with the muscle, engineered muscle cells or neurons. Um, that was a while ago, almost 20 years ago. Uh, and uh, to, to, to create devices that can, you know, detect biological events and use as biosensors uh, or potentially invasively implanted for other applications. So that was something that we did back in the days Then the company took a different direction. We did it joint venture and it started to make more lab on chip kind of things. Um, but the Symbio watch, the idea that you mentioned, I think there is a tremendous opportunity in that sense, especially because the field matured since then uh, to a point of uh, complexity uh, that I, I think there are tremendous uh, op business opportunities and ideas of how can we use like devices in the longevity therapeutic space. Well, in, for example, developing 
like non-invasive or minimal invasive diagnostic uh, devices that they can inform, read, or predict um, markers, biomarkers of aging and disease longitudinally. So keeping track of what you're doing and giving you predictions of your health state or how, you know, interventions that you could do to change how you're like aging, maybe your lifestyles or you are exposed to factors that are actually accelerating your aging, biological age, not chronological age. And so you might need to prevent this before you reach that, you know, you're accelerating maybe your infection point or the other way around. Can you slow it down? Uh, and that could, you know, be used in also as a, beyond that therapeutically, you know, to, as in developing diagnostic um, kits that can be used. They're really important in the, in the aging field. I know that NIH and NIA in particular is very interested in, in, in that. Um, so that, for example, is a, could be a, a very good uh, valuable proposition in the longevity therapeutic space, longevity space in general. How can we uh, develop devices and now, you know, there are you know, multi-omics, it's becoming become cheap, there are ways to, you know, accelerate analysis uh, through AI, machine learning, and a number of other algorithms that can really use to kind of decode um, a massive amount of information that we can collect or we can track uh, over time and maybe on... Uh, integrated way, sharing information with others, building platforms around that. So there is definitely opportunity to combine, again, hardware, software, and maybe to go back to initial point, wetware. So sort of a, a hybrid uh, interfaces or devices that can collect biological information in real time or over time uh, to predict how the aging, your biological aging is going, is changing or potentially reverted as well. Yeah, one, one final thing, because it wasn't mentioned earlier. Uh, is your company somehow potentially open to uh, investigations involving uh, drug delivery technology? Like, for example, the mRNA vaccines for uh, coronavirus are using lipid nanoparticles. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, if such a thing were available, uh, would that, to, to your... Uh, company, uh, would, would that make things better or easier or improve the, the technology in some way? Um, well, yeah, so at Trubedo, what we, we're, our platform makes uh, small molecules. You know, those prodrugs are based on small molecules. So like, um, they don't, you don't need any specific uh, system to deliver these this, this drugs. So that's another strength of the, the approach, right? We take advantage of an established pharmacological development process based on small molecules, well known. Um, and so it can either be like a PL, it could be another way to administer a drug, but our small molecules. So there is no really a major issue you know, in making formulations for that because this is an established field. Now there are other areas, especially in biologics, that this is still an open an open question. Um, and for example, I mentioned another company that I I, I co-founded and I'm involved with, which is Turn Biotechnologies. In that case, it's based on an RNA 
technology, so biologics, and uh, where and the delivery is very important. So in that in that context, we are developing a novel delivery strategies uh, to combine uh, to effectively deliver this um, uh, this RNA-based therapeutics, um, which recently you know, through the pandemic we learned how is important in, for example, development of vaccines like you mentioned. Right, using nanolipoparticles to uh, to enable the delivery of those RNAs in the in the context of a vaccine, for example. So, yeah, new delivery approaches, especially in biologics, uh, for a number of different longevity therapeutics that are currently in development with multiple companies and more to come, is certainly a very powerful and very valuable and needed is an unmet need in certain areas which I encourage people to look into because um, it would be also a good business opportunity as well. All right, uh, back to you, Nathan. <laughs> or, okay. Yeah, so um, just to uh, reset the room, we have Marco Corta here, uh, the founder of Beto Life Sciences. Um, uh, and just for anybody who's uh, coming up to the stage, just a reminder, um, if you come up here to ask a question, it means you can send to us using your audio in the recording and your profile photo in the video that we upload to YouTube. So um, let's go on to Juliana. Uh, what's, what's your question? Thank you very much, Nato and Robert. And thank you, Mark, to Marco, for the, the talk. It's really interesting. So I have actually two questions. So the first is, uh, what was the rationale behind the choice of IPF and COPD? and your lead disease indications, because being an orphan disease brings several regulatory advantages that streamline the process. But uh, is there a specific evidence in the literature indicating that a systemic depletion of senescent cells would be enough to counteract IPF and reverse the disease scenario? And my second question is, although it's actually pretty early for that, do you have an idea of what will be your strategy for clinical trials in terms of endpoints to be measured? Great question. Thank you, Juliana. Um, so to the first point, uh, yes, we, we, there was a, a careful work around which indication we should go first, right? So rubella is not a, let's say, respiratory uh, pulmonary disease type company only. Uh, it is not an oncology company, not, but we could go after all of that. But that poses also, and that's typical, a typical question for companies like ours, going after you know, mechanisms of aging, which is our master regulators of multiple diseases, then say, so what do you want to target first? Um, so we carefully thought about that. And uh, IPF, yes, as you said, yes, is an orphan disease status, and there are maybe certain advantages in terms of uh, clinical strategy. And uh, but but beyond that, we uh, it's really that the the role of senescence in uh, in IPF uh, is becoming more and more clear to be a driver, a very important factors that could um, could really resolve and or have a very strong therapeutic um, uh, capacity in, in this patient population. We partner up with the Cedar Sinai um, Medical Center at LA and uh, Professor Hogobam is a professor in the respiratory diseases and you know, it's been working for 25, 30 years in APF, ancillary senescence. 
and he joined forces with us. Um, and the field is coming to a growing conviction that the role of solar senescence in APF plays a critical role. Um, so we we decided that we you know we wanted to hopefully bring to the clinic and uh, a, a first treatment that can really benefit the patient population. And and so we we decided to. You know, to prioritize IPF towards other programs that we initiated internally. Uh, so yeah, we, we definitely strongly believe that targeting senescence for IPF could be uh, really important. Now the point is how to target this, and uh, and it's not just necessarily that a senolytic approach might be uh, resolutive as we think. So that needs to be done very carefully. And that's what we are you know, really working hard to, to develop our program for that. And to the second point, um, yes, we have a clinical strategy to do that. Uh, we have a team on uh, uh, product and clinical development uh, that we're working very carefully to identify the, the right way to, to go to the clinic, um, which patient population endpoint stratification, uh, how to address that. Um, but these are still, uh, it's too early to maybe talk this into, into too many details, but we, 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 you have a clear understanding, at least a clear idea of how we, we, we plan to do that. Awesome, super interesting. Thank you very much. Of course. Okay, yeah, if we don't have any other questions, I, I have a ton of questions that I can ask Marco. Um, so uh, back to our point about um, unity biotechnology, right? And this idea of localized administration or systematic um, administration of senolytic drugs, right? So there's this idea that uh, to be able to really, I guess, ameliorate the effects of, you know, the SASP, right? The inflammatory uh, and like, you know, pro-fibrotic effects of senescent cells, you have to go systemic. Uh, do, do you think Do you think that's true? Um, or, or is there a way to do it locally? Or, or uh, yeah, so do you think we have to go systemic to, to be able to, address the, the problem? Um, well, so I, I think, you know, senescence biology is also more complex than we think, and we are learning this every day, right? So I think we need a lot of different efforts to develop uh, multiple senolytic strategies. It's a little bit like oncology. It's not that there is a cure for cancer. There are many types of cancer. So senescence can be different. It's not that because there is some evidence with some existing compound, for example, the cocktail dis plus Q, that in animals showed some efficacy and you know can be used. And they're like suggesting in some clinical trials run at the Mayo Clinic um, that there is efficacy. But that's not going to be a, you know, a cure for everything, maybe even for anything necessarily, uh, without being carefully uh, developed. And same is in general, well, what are, how do we target the, the, the biology of senescence as a therapeutic opportunity? Um, so that's where you know, there are multiple ways, multiple strategies, and uh, it's not that simple. 
Um, so different compounds, which pathways, how you target senescence, in which cell types, in which tissue. Um, it might, so to your point, there might be, now there are possibly indications, clinical indications that a local administration uh, could be advantages. It is true that if we think in the context of an aging process where, you know, if we can simplify thinking, or you keep accumulating senescent cells overall, increase chronic inflammation overall, so you need to clear this systemically to change significantly the, you know, the, by the whole body status, but but then you need to look specifically in any a disease, right? There might be a specific role of senescence and accumulation of senescence in a certain disease, in certain indication, um, where a local administration could be advantages. And so I think what uh, the initial thinking at Unity in going after. Uh, osteoarthritis, for example, and uh, using those, yeah, they may have limitations for systemic administration on their compounds, but the idea of using some privileged uh, tissues and, uh, and do local clearance of senescent cells, um, it, it makes sense in a certain, uh, in certain ways. And now they're targeting macro degeneration. They're moving in phase two. I think there is a um, a good chance that that actually could show efficacy. Uh, I think it's hard to say why that didn't work uh, on for osteoarthritis. And uh, I wouldn't simplify in saying it's because the synergetic approach didn't work in that case, right? Uh, you know, when you run experiments in animals, you can run many, many conditions and try to dissect and understand how things work. Drug doesn't work just, you know, you take it. How do you take it? What's a dose? When do you take it? You know, you interfere with biological events. This is all, you know, developing a drug. So it's understanding all the pharmacology around that. It's not obvious. That's why all the preclinical studies should be as careful as possible. Because when you go into humans, you have one chance. Now, those are very expensive and complex behaviors. So if you choose the wrong endpoints or if you predict them, you try to do to model as, as best as possible, but then when you run this exper human experiment, this is what the clinical trial is, and you don't see results, doesn't mean that uh, it didn't work. It means that you might not have enough statistical power to demonstrate your hypothesis. Even if maybe the drug is working, uh, you missed the right dose, you missed the right endpoint, and, you know, you should go back and do it again and change the conditions. Not everybody has the capacity to do that, right? There's a huge cost and, uh, and complexity to, to do that. So I think that the, the clinical trial for osteoarthritis that Unity tried in phase two, unfortunately, didn't work. But there are a number of reasons that um, that could be not necessarily that uh, local treatments failed, you know, maybe using a different dose, different uh, multiple doses or looking at the same endpoints at earlier or in a different ways could have actually led to success. We just don't know that. Yeah, totally. I, I agree. Um, maybe I have one more question since we have sure. a little bit of time. Sure. Um, so from your point of view in the longevity industry, what are the low hanging fruit for or other potential, I guess, startups to to tackle, or maybe 
even if it's not like a specific therapeutic area. Maybe there's some sort of um, infrastructure or uh, some project that's required to help accelerate progress in the field. So like, uh, for example, I, I asked this question to Kristen Fortney of uh, BioAge Labs, and she mentioned uh, the whole problem with uh, old mice, right? To do a lot of these studies on old mice, it's difficult to get these mice, it's very expensive, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I was just wondering if you had any ideas about like, hey, maybe this this area or, you know, therapeutic area is underserved in terms of, you know, new startups being formed to tackle it or some sort of, you know, um, infrastructure that's required to, to help um, accelerate progress. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question too. Uh, you know, the, well, low hanging fruits, there are, on one side, there are many. There are, all, there, there are so many unmet clinical need in, in the you know age-related diseases indications. Um, interestingly, you know they were not the low-hanging fruits until now, and because that's why let's say the pharmacological development of of the past 50 years did not address those because we didn't have the capacity to go after those. Now we are reaching those that are in the context of you know, targeting aging. We go at the root of some of those degenerative processes, chronic conditions, and they are starting to become, you know, quote unquote, long-hanging fruits. But you know, of course, they're, they're, it's complex to go after them. Um, and I think you know you need the right biology and you need the right model. For that, as you mentioned, like using aged mice is, is expensive and, and is complex. I would add that it's not necessarily the best model. Um, it's better when you look at an aging uh, environment, and it's definitely you need aging into the, your equation to make good prediction. Like what are the, the predictors for uh, potential clinical uh, translations? But you know, animal models are not human. So learning how to cure a mouse is not translate does not gonna help really or translate in how we can cure a human. So that, that needs to be clear. Um, so, for example, finding better models that can better inform the biology of aging in, in humans clinically that would be a tremendous tool a to develop and it could have a you know, a, a, it's a product itself. Many other companies could benefit and maybe use and work in partnering who, with whoever has good models to do that, or that it can enable sort of a, a studies or understanding aging in humans better and faster. And so you can test therapies there that are more reliable than using animals, especially rodents that are not that similar to humans in for many ways. Um, and at the same time, if you have that, you now have also uh, a very a competitive advantage in, in testing therapeutics internally. And, and possibly you have models that can work better in one indication or in the other. Um, so how to think about this? Well, you could think about what are all the hallmarks of age that we know that are most established and uh, how can you best use them to develop models that can be as translatable as possible preclinical models or even you know human or human like or human data that you, you can use to model 
potential therapeutic uh, outcomes. Um, so I'm not giving you a specific answer, but I think I'm giving you potential inspirations for ideas. Yeah, great, great. Thank you for those ideas. Yeah, I think um, having some better type of preclinical model would, would definitely help. There's a lot of talk about like um, organoids, you know, organ on a chip, um, maybe some other uh, approaches. Uh, <laughs> you could also try like um, like non-human primates. A lot of people are looking in, into that. Um, uh, I mean, they already ha have that, but uh, it's, you know, there are different models like marmosets or whatever that, that could be interesting. Um, yeah, I guess uh, I want to be mindful of your time now since uh, it's uh, 9.04, we, a little past. Um, I just want to thank you again, Marco, for coming onto the show. It was really great to talk to you and very fascinating conversation talking about all the exciting developments that are that are going on at uh, Rubeda Life Sciences. And um, I just want to uh, just reiterate to everybody listening that um, Rubeda Life Sciences is going to be raising a Series A at some point in the very near future. So uh, if you're interested in that or know somebody who might be interested in investing, um, then definitely reach out to them. Um, there's uh, also uh, many open positions on their website. So if you go to rubedolife.com, uh, they have some uh, positions for, for people who are looking to join an anti-aging company. Um, and uh, they also have some internships. So uh, with that, I, I think we'll just uh, come to a close here. And uh, yeah, just thank you again, Marco. It was, it was great having you on the show. Well, thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Robert. Uh, it was a pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversations and uh, you know, I wish I had, we had more time, but I uh, hope that we'll have another in the future. And thank you again for the inv invitation and uh, please continue with this show. It's definitely uh, great uh, and very valuable for, for, the, for the space. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was, it was our pleasure having you. Likewise, uh, being here. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye, everyone.